Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm your host, CEO Dan Mariashin. We appreciate your spending some time with us today. As the environment for Jews in Europe becomes even more challenging and in some places increasingly hostile toward Jews, more and more Jews are making Aliyah. But what happens once new Olim settle down and resume their lives? Joining me for a discussion on the process of klita or integration for French Jews and more is journalist and media expert Eliana Gorfinkel, a communications and media guru who herself made Aliyah from Paris 13 years ago. Eliana produces a daily news program, various topical segments, and a Jewish history show for Studio Kalita, the leading French-speaking new media in Israel. The idea behind the studio is to translate the nuances of Israeli society so that French-speaking Olim have access to the same information every Israeli does to make integrating easier and less alienating. Eliana is also a strategic advisor for Contraste, a leading South American Jewish new media platform that concentrates on getting Latin American Jews to further embrace their Jewish identity. She previously worked at the Israeli Knesset and holds a Master of Arts in History from Bar-Ilan University. In our conversation today, Eliana and I will speak about France's alarming spike in anti-Semitism, why so many French Jews are choosing to make Aliyah, and how recent French-speaking Olim are adapting to Israeli society. We'll also talk about how French Jews are overcoming anti-Semitism and alienation in France, what French officials are doing to combat attacks on Jewish citizens, and the impact of Eliana's work on French and South American Jews. Eliana, great to have you with us today. Thank you. Bonjour, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very happy and honored to be with you guys today. Well, you made Aliyah 13 years ago, and I think it's safe to say you have fully integrated into Israeli society. That's true. In your career, you focus primarily on helping French-speaking Olim adapt to life in Israel. Now, it's not hard to connect the dots, but why did you choose to work for Studio Kalita to do this? And did you feel out of place when you first arrived in Israel with your family? Tell us about your experiences. So I moved to Israel turning 18, uh, right after my, uh, the end of high school. And the truth is that I straight away tried to become Israeli, meaning I, I started to spend time with Israelis. I learned a very good Hebrew. Uh, I actually never really worked in French uh, since I made Aliyah. And I got really to be totally and fully integrated. Another example is that I didn't marry French, let's put it that way. I married a, a Brazilian guy. Um, but at the end of the day, what happened was that when three years ago they tried, they wanted to open that radio, uh, they reached out to me and they asked me, you know, to use that knowledge about uh, that knowledge of Israel and to, as you said, and you, you said it very nicely, to translate it into French. Um, with the years, and especially with uh, the rise of anti-Semitism the past 10 years or 15 years, a lot of the French Jews that have been moving to Israel uh, moved uh, as families, you know, young families. Uh, the parents are in their uh, early 40s um, and they have already, you know, kids. And we're not talking here about people like me or what the uh, regular average Aliyah was before, which means students slash a retired people. We're talking here about a, a, a population that actually extremely needs to 
understand what's happening in their country, but at the same time, that has huge difficulties to um, learn the new language, to take time to learn the new language. Obviously, it's easier when you're at university to take a you know break and to spend six months you know breaking your teeth to learn a good uh, a Hebrew. But here we're talking about families that need you know to start working. And sometimes they put the Hebrew on the side, and which uh, which makes that, that at the end of the day they don't really understand what's happening there. And for me, I always enjoy this idea, you know, of being a, a, a bridge over a gap, you know, trying to help them and to help them integrate, and at the same time doing what I like, which means, uh, you know, being into journalism. So that really uh, worked uh, worked out well. Kalita's stated mission is to help French Olim succeed in Israel and strengthen the social and economic contributions uh, of French Olim in Israel. You helped launch and now produce several programs for Studio mm -hmm. Kalita, uh, which is the organization's digital arm. In fact, you produced more than 700 episodes uh, from your own experiences and based on conversations with others. What makes integration difficult and sometimes uh, painful, per perhaps, for French Olim. We know that in the, in the case of every group that has made Aliyah, Klita is sometimes challenging for some, less challenging, more challenging. Everyone has to go through the process. How do your shows ease that transition, uh, specifically, and, and give French-speaking Olim access to what Israel really is? So I'll start with... Um uh, you know, there's this famous saying in Hebrew that whatever comes from the heart enters in the heart. So Jewish history is my, my passion. That's what I love doing. That's what, when I have time, that's what I'm reading. That's what I'm living, you know, living in Jerusalem. Obviously, you, you live into a, into a historical uh, part of the world, you know. You, and it's because when we started, you know, building the, the different programs of the radio, I offered to do this show and it was uh, very quickly uh, accepted. And the idea was that really to transmit this passion I have for Israel. But with the time, obviously, you know, I started talking about Golda Meir and then uh, Ben Gurion and then uh, Rav Goren maybe. But at the end of the day, at some point when you're doing a daily show, you need to find new subjects. And even if I, if it's not only an Israeli program and it's not only an Israeli history program, it's a Jewish history, so I can touch to many, many, many subjects. Obviously, at the end of the day, uh, I talk a lot about Israeli figures and people that are not as known as uh, these, the, the few names I mentioned earlier. And it makes that a lot of people discover stories and uh, figures. And a lot of time, you know, it starts with the joke. Uh, a lot of people know the joke that who was Ben Gurion? Oh, it's an airport. You know, who? What is Ben Gurion? It's an airport, and not it. It was a famous, um, you know, leader in Israel. So Ben Gurion is a big, you know, uh, it's a big example. But you have many, many names. You walk around in the cities, um, and that's why sometimes I I prefer you know Israeli names or European names than Amer in America. You have a lot of. Uh, you know the the avenues are 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 letters, and then the streets are numbers. So it's it's uh, you you're less into history uh, than you can be in Israel when you have I don't know the name. I live on Rehov Arav Brody, and so obviously I checked out who was that guy and. And it's interesting because I, where I live, 
and then that's also one of the thing amazing thing in Israel areas and and shkunot in Israel are you know, around a subject. So you'll have, for example, the tribes of uh, Israel. Uh, you'll have, not far from where I live, you have all the different sages of the 12th century in Spain. So this idea is to give people that knowledge, to enable them to look at the daily life with another light, to understand that at the end of the day, even if the state of Israel now, it's been 70 years that it's around, uh, it's only the climax of a very, very long process of dreams and different trials to get to it. And when you pass on this message, it gives a lot of strength. And especially sometimes when I tell about, you know, this politician or this very famous singer and, and I tell their, their, their story, their personal stories, and you hear about all the different, you know, the different times they fell on the way. I think it really gives some strength to keep going and, and it, it gives you uh, this uh, idea to, to go further and to succeed. Uh, we also do, for the past few months, we've been doing something called Face to Face, Face Face, where we interview famous Israelis and we translate these interviews. And by doing so, again, you let the French Jews that will not automatically, you know, turn on the Israeli TV, but maybe they'll just, you know, use cable to watch their favorite French shows. And suddenly they discover all these Israeli figures and, and they they feel that they're connected. If they find, if they bump into this person in the supermarket, you know, they'll say, oh, I know who you are. And that's a very strong feeling of attachment and of being part of a country. And especially in Israel, um, even if that's something I've learned a lot in high school about America, that America is a nation of immigrations and everything, uh, of immigrants, um, at the end of the day, it's the same for Israel. Um, and the more you tell about that history of immigrants coming one after the other and, and bringing, you know, their, their stone and building that country, the more you tell about that, the more I believe a young Ole would say, or someone that just came to Israel, I want to be this Ole as well. I want to be, I want to bring my stone. I want to build this country. And that's what I'm trying to do to inspire them with these very old, you know, centuries, old stories, but that could actually inspire them to for their daily life you know what you say about street signs it's so true and I, I do this constantly when I'm in Israel is is I always look at the street signs not only to you know to make sure at the corner that I'm you know crossing you know safely but also that they do tell a story in 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 every city in every neighborhood and it's it's interesting that um, that you chose that as, as an example how big is your audience in France and how many Listeners, do you, do you have in Israel? How, how do you... Yeah, we're talking here about 100,000 uh, followers with uh, 60% being in Israel and 40% being in France. Uh, we also, for the past year, we've been having connection with the French Jewish radios in, in, in France. So, for example, my show is being broadcasted as well in France every day. So we've been, uh, you know, really touching a lot of people. And what is interesting is that let's put aside my show that is about Jewish history, but a lot of the shows we're doing talk about immigration and the integration. And we have what we call Alia stories where people tell uh, where they were when they came to Israel, when they are now five years later, 10 years later, two years later. And a lot of these stories are, uh, 
again inspired and we have uh you know we get some feedbacks and we receive messages from people saying I wanted to make Aliyah and I was not sure and I watched your shows and I watched that show called Israel Commence à Marche, Israel How Does It Work and now I better understand what I, and I, and I better understood what I needed to do and that's how I succeeded to make Aliyah. I even spoke to one lady once, she told me she has, you know, a like a, a book note where she writes down uh, a yeah, notebook. Everything that that is interesting for her and that would enable her to have a better integration, she just takes notes. And it was very funny because she's uh, she's a, a big doctor. She got you know she made Aliyah. She straight went into a, a a big hospital in Israel. Like it's not someone that is lost, you know. But she still believes that it. I mean, she, she does not believe. She says that it helps her so much that she does it, that effort that at night when she's done with her big day she uh, she sits down she opens her computer and then she uh with her notebook she takes notes of everything that is uh that could help her to uh, integrate better in israel let's talk about anti-semitism in france it's uh, spiked in the last decade jews are constantly asking themselves an age-old question and it hasn't only been in france it's been in other places uh, do i have a bag packed for example Following the November 2015 Paris attacks, 80% of French Jews in one poll considered making Aliyah. Why are, are French Jews making that, that decision, this large population, why are they, they making that decision? And do you think that um, this is, Israel is, is the destination? Are they looking at other places? First of all, they are definitely looking at other places. We've been having immigration, like French Jews have been moving to Canada, you know, Montreal, they speak French there, uh, in the, to the U.S. as a general destination, um, to Australia. A lot of them have been moving to Australia. Why are they moving? Um, I mean, I've always been impressed and shocked uh, to a certain extent by uh, my American friends telling about how their parents have been buying, um, you know, cemetery plots in the U.S. and preparing for the burial. I do not know any French person that has uh, bought a burial uh, plot in France. Maybe at the end of the day, they end up, you know, being buried in France, or maybe they have a family plot, and at the end of the day, they do get buried in France. But the way French Jews are, and that's maybe because, you know, they're Sephardi and they're Masorah team and they're connected to the tradition, even if they're not what we would call uh, in, orthodox, in an orthodox way religious, they're connected to Israel. When I grew up, and I grew up both in a place where I, I both went to, you know, Jewish school and non-Jewish school where, so I, I met both populations, you know, Jews are very linked to their Judaism and Jews are less linked to their Judaism and their Jewish identity. For many of them, it has always been clear that at the end of the day, we'll end up in Israel somehow. We need to understand that when we speak about French Jewry nowadays, it's a Jewry that has when that is the most of them are the descendants of Sephardi Jews. Uh, we're talking here about North African Jews that at the end of the day only arrived in France in between 70 to 50 years ago. Uh, 
uh, with my friends are Sephardi are the second generation to be born in France or the first generation. Their parents were born still in Morocco, in Tunisia, in Algiers. And these people still have, you know, that uh, very bitter taste of leaving North Africa from day one to day two with only a small suitcase and trying to run away as quick as they can. And one uh, guy actually told my dad once in shul, he said to him, sometimes when you open uh, yogurt and the, you have the, the date shows that it's not good anymore, uh, sometimes it's not about the date, it's about opening it and tasting it. And the taste is so bitter that you know that you can't eat it anymore. And he gave that example to talk about the inner feeling you might have sometimes when you are, you are part of a population and a Sephardi Jewry in North Africa was there for you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. And one day they felt that it's not good anymore and they run away. And since then they have this feeling and they understand. And another reason why they might better understand it than other Ashkenazi Jews, let's put it that way, it's because one of the reasons anti-Semitism has grown in France for the past 12, 20 years is linked to the Muslim population in France. And if you look at the numbers, the population might not be that big, let's put it uh, that way, or the population that can be a threat, meaning the people that are close to um, a very Islamic ideology of what Islam should be is not big. But at the same, at the same time, 20% of the population under the age of 18 in France was born from immigration. So we can tell that you, in French, you can't tell. You don't have the right to ask people what their religion is because last time they did that was during the Second World War and that was used to send Jews to, uh, to death. So for that reason, you can't you know, have a, a, a pool and ask people, what's your religion? So that will, you, you can't actually tell the exact number saying it's 17%, 20%. And an average of 20% of these people, of the youngs in, 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 in France are from, uh, you know, originally from uh, immigration and from uh, Muslim uh, countries immigration. And uh, for the past 20 years, these people, A, we have a problem of integration, their own integration into the French society. And this is not a Jewish problem. It's a, it's a national problem in France. And at the same time, these populations with time have been, you know, being, uh, for example, uh, a lot of uh, neighborhoods in France, what we could call, you know, kind of ghettos, there you, it's difficult to teach Holocaust studies or even Holocaust in high school because the students don't accept, the pupils don't agree to hear about uh, the Holocaust and they don't agree to hear about uh, Jewish uh, suffering and they say that it's not true and they say that at the end of the day what happens to the Jews it's what should happen to to them because what they do to Palestinians even if you know it's not connected I mean the Holocaust happened over 70 years ago and uh, the Palestinian the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been uh, after that uh, that terrible war but we having here a problem of education and the problem of education makes that a lot of these uh, population that might be poor and not really educated population turn to be uh, very anti-Semitic and turn to act um, in a very anti-Semitic way. And the other thing we feel in France nowadays is that 
you might have this, you know, uh, Muslim movement or Islamic movement against the Jews. It has awakened um, an old anti-Semitism that was, you know, that people didn't um, didn't talk about for many, many, many years. I just want to give an example. Um, there is this amazing French writer named Alexandre, Alexandre Jardin. And his grandfather was the head of staff of Laval. Laval, that was, a, you know, the prime minister at the time of the Vichy government. So his grandfather was, you know, the head and the hands of the government that sent Jews to death. And he wrote a book, an extremely moving book, where he tells about how he grew up and everyone in the family was saying about how his grandfather didn't do anything and he had no choice and and that's what the germans uh, demanded the f his grandfather to do and and that's what he grew up with and when he became an adult he started you know to to learn uh, history and with time he realized that that's not true that his grandfather was uh, guilty for what he did and and then he wrote that book where he basically asked uh, he said to the Jews, I'm sorry for what my grandfather has done. And I, I want to ask, uh, I want to ask you to forgive, not to forgive him, but to forgive me to that only now, 50 years later, I'm asking uh, uh, for forgiveness. So this is another, you know, feeling that uh, these two anti-Semitism are around and are alive. And maybe it was no one took care of that anti-Semitism the same way, let's say, that uh, the Americans, while being in Germany, took care of the strong, you know, Nazi ideology and succeeded to make it disappear. So in Israel, in France, sorry, that's not what happened. And that's the feeling nowadays. So I think uh, I think France is a, a perfect example, really, of uh, where you have the perfect storm description of anti-Semitism from the left, from the right, and from Islamic extremism. France, France does have the largest Jewish population in Europe, and many will still, uh, are intent to remain there, will still remain. Yes. How are, are Jews in France working to overcome or combat this anti-Semitism and the alienation? Uh, and do you think that the, the government response has been uh, adequate or not? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, the community is trying, you know, as much as they can, but it has become extremely difficult. The government, I would say that um, 20 years ago, they had to do something that it didn't do. And for that reason nowadays, it's much harder to do anything. I'll give you an example. When 20 years ago, and some of them starting to rise again in France, and I remember it was at the beginning of the Second Intifada, we almost 20 years, you know, it's almost the 20th anniversary of the beginning of the Second Intifada. And when a lot of these youngs uh, in, you know, neighborhoods in France starting to identify to the Palestinians that were fighting against the Israelis, and by identifying uh, to them, they started with them. They started, you know, to uh, attack Jews in, in France. Uh, at that time, the French president uh, Jacques Chirac made the famous speech where he said, "There is no anti-Semitism in France." And by doing so, by saying there is no anti-Semitism in France, and at the same time knowing that every day you have more and more anti-Semitism act, uh, 
and Semitic acts happening. And you know that every day there are more, uh, you know, Jewish students that are afraid to say that they're Jewish at university. Uh, by doing that, you're kind of uh, was used that uh, you know Jewish word. You're giving a temple. You're giving. A, you're, you're telling any single person that want to commit an anti-Semitic act, please do. If I, as as the French president, I am saying that there is no anti-Semitism. When there is anti-Semitism, I'm basically telling you, you guys, you know, the door is open. Do whatever you want. And I think that the first person that really, uh, the first uh, a politician that really addressed the issue of anti-Semitism in France was Manuel Valls, that was a prime minister. Uh, and, uh, and it was a bit too late, you know, there's, there are too many uh, stages that have been passed by the fact that in France you can't walk around with a kippah, a yamoke, because that's um, that's actually endangering yourself. Uh, the fact that it's really hard to be pro-Israeli, you know, in an open way, not, you know, I'm not talking here about doing crazy things, but just saying, you know, I'm pro-Israel, that's something it's really difficult to say. Uh, and the French media, you know, have been, for the past 20 years, been extremely being pro-Palestinians. And, and that has an impact uh, uh, on the reality. You know, we listen to media. Media are giving us uh, an insight about the world that we want to trust. So if you're being biased by what you're doing, uh, it's really difficult, you know, to bridge, the, to bridge that gap. Well, I'd like to, well, we have time for one more question. And uh, I'd like to move from France to Latin America, because mm -hmm. you also have a great interest in the Jewish communities there. Uh, you're an advisor for Contraste, uh, a South American Jewish new media that concentrates on getting Latin American Jews to further embrace their Jewish identity. Since launching Contraste's YouTube channel and Facebook page in Portuguese, uh, have gained thousands of followers, generating so much interest that the organization launched an e-learning platform with thousands of subscribers a few months ago. What role do you think Contraste plays for South American Jews and how likely is it that Jews from Brazil and other Latin American countries and those who perhaps are living outside Latin America begin making Aliyah in numbers that would approximate uh, what French Jews are, are doing in terms of, of Aliyah? So South America is very different from what we actually know. Um, the first thing is that um, assimilation rates in, uh, you know, intermarriage rates in uh, South America are huge. Brazil, we're talking here about 80%. You know, if we're, we're talking about France and Europe and anti-Semitism, just go to Brazil. You tell people you're Jewish, you're coming from Israel, they, they want to, you know, to hug you and to embrace you. And they're excited about the fact that you're coming from uh, the Holy Land and so uh, a lot of people, you know, they feel good in South America and they, they're losing their Jewish identity. And what we've been trying to do with Contraste and what I've been trying, you know, to help them doing with the ideas about how to reach out to the, the Jewish population uh, is, first of all, this idea of, you know, being uh, Jewish pride. Uh, I guess that's something, you know, in America that really resonates, you know, you're proud to be a Jew and, and it's okay to be a Jew. 
and all that content that we're creating is about you know how cool it is to be a Jew and how rich is our uh, tradition and everything we have. Obviously, we want to strengthen people, you know, their Jewish connection and their knowledge. And Brazil is a huge country. You know, it's almost the size of the U.S. The population is um, not as big as the American one, but it's still a very big population. And the Jewish population is very small. We're talking here about 80,000, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jews. That's not, uh, that we're not talking here about America. We're not talking about millions. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands. And then you have another big population that is Argentina. These Jews, when you... And, and because that population is smaller than, let's say, the uh, English-speaking population, the Jewish-English-speaking population, you have less material being translated into Portuguese, and you have less uh, knowledge that can be easily found in, in, in Portuguese. And that's the reason why uh, Contrasti has been, you know, being so uh, nicely welcomed. Because people are eager, you know, to know more about who they are, and that's why they're interested. And I want to add another thing that you not always think about it. In Brazil, uh, we're talking here about uh, 230 million inhabitants. You have 30 million inhabitants that are of Marano descent. Their you know, ancestors were Marano that ran away, not from Spain, but from Brazil, uh, from uh, Portugal, sorry and that arrived in Brazil at the time when, when Brazil was part of, uh, you know, the Portuguese uh, colonial empire. And these people, you have a different types of people. You have people that are, have been living in their close communities for hundreds of years. We've met some of them. People that know that, you know, in our family, we only get married with cousins. And my dad would tell my mother at some point to light candles on Friday night. And on, uh, you know, uh, at the end, uh, Saturday night, we would always look, do like this. And I mean, look at the stars and, and look for three stars. And, and all of these people didn't really know, or maybe the secret hasn't been extremely well passed over the years. But with the emergence of internet, people have been looking for the Jewish roots. And that's also one of the reasons that Contrasty is big, is that a lot of people are looking for the Jewish identity. And with the internet, you know, they can find some Jewish identity. We're talking here in Brazil, 30 million people have Jewish roots. And hundreds of thousands of them are interested into knowing more. So that contrasty as also, you know, uh, um, being a lot of people, you know, when they, they're looking for some authentic Judaism and they want to know and learn, a lot of them go through the platform. Uh, do they stay? Are they, you know, are they, they're not the, the, the biggest uh, part of the platform, but a lot of them, uh, uh, come from that background and we need I think as Jews to be aware that in many different parts of the world you have people that find their Jewish connection like the Bnei Menashe that live you know in between China and India and all these people that are interested into their Jewish roots and that might be you know the future of uh, the Jewish uh, the Jewish people and maybe the Jewish state if tomorrow we have a lot of people that uh, you know start going uh, and coming and, and and coming to Israel I mean imagine if, if we're talking here about 30 million imagine if only one 
one million decided tomorrow to move to Israel. So Israel would be changed the same way the Russian Aliyah changed Israel. Imagine a Brazilian Aliyah, you know, Samba everywhere in, in, in Israel. That would be amazing. That would be a big change. Eliana, you know, really what you say about um, Jewish continuity and education, um, Jewish identity, pride in being Jewish. I mean, this is the, the constant challenge that we have, and not just in this generation, you know, all previous generations uh, in countries, particularly immigration countries, like the United States um, and Brazil and other places. Have, this is always a challenge. And the work that you do with Kalita um, and the work that you do with Contraste really is a contribution to meeting that challenge. And uh, really, it's, it's extremely important. Uh, not only in a place like France, where really France is on the front line in terms of combating anti-Semitism, but also in places like Brazil and other places, uh, really you have made a, a tremendous contribution, and we, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us Thank you us for today. having me, and thank you to the Bnei Brits, the oldest you know, Jewish organizations, for what you guys have been doing for so, so, so many years. Well, thank you to Eliana Gerfinkel for joining me today, and thank you for tuning in. If you like what you hear, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, benebrit.org, to learn about our work, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. For my guest, Eliana Gerfinkel, I'm your host, CEO Dan Mariash. Talk to you again next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast.